Thanks for joining us. We love getting to share the message of God's grace with the entire world. If his message has impacted your life, would you share your testimony with us by emailing it to stories at graceorlando.com. We love to hear what God is up to. You can also give in support of this ministry by going to our website and clicking on the give button at graceorlando.com. Thanks again. All right, let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we love you so much. What an incredible morning. Uh, you are good. Father, what a fantastic song. Lord, we, we, we know how good you are. Lord, we, we, uh, we've seen it. We love you. And as Scott says, you bless us. Lord, you bless us so well. So, Father, I pray this morning you'd speak to us. Speak to our hearts. Show us some new areas and things that, that we can see uh, you in a whole new light. God, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we've been talking about not being a doormat. So hopefully nobody felt like a doormat this week. Uh, but you are not a doormat, in case you were wondering, okay? In case you were uh, feeling all of this year, for example, feeling like I'm just being walked on, man. Like everybody's just kind of trampling all over me, and I'm just sitting here as the carpet, you know? Anybody else felt like that this year? I mean, I think all of us to some degree have felt that way. Uh, but maybe you've, maybe you've been there. You've, you've, you feel like a doormat, and we've been talking about this. And a few different things that are very helpful, right? So uh, in case you haven't heard the other part, to the series, there's a few words you're really going to want to understand, okay? So we'll talk about some words for a second. All right, so as we talk about uh, this, this idea of humility, okay, being humble, this, this tool that you and I have, it's really a, it's a powerhouse that you and I have to survive this place, okay? It's humility, it's meekness, uh, and the way that we see these things for what they really are is repentance, okay? Now, here's the thing. Whenever we hear this word repentance, we, we typically hear it from the Latin understanding, right? Which has a whole lot to do with a ruler and somebody feeling real bad, right? You're going to repent, repent, change your mind, but feel bad about it, right? Repentance means to say, I'm sorry, and to turn, and to walk the other way, to stop doing bad things, and to do good things. But that's not what Jesus is talking about when he says repentance. That's what we hear when he says that. What he's talking about is change of mind, changing your mind completely, not just about bad things and good things, but about what you think reality even looks like. That's why he says you have to have my mind. He's going to give the mind of Christ. So we repent. In other words, we see things the way that God does. Then there's humility, tapanoph rasune, this really fun Greek word that, that <laughs> it really rolls off the tongue. Uh, it means fully dependent on God. It just means that I'm not groveling on the ground thinking I'm dirt or whatever. No, I know I'm a child of God. This is what humility says. I'm a child of God. I know who I am. I'm not going to act anything other than a child of God. I'm going to stay right there. And that's a great place to be, and that's called humility. Then we talked about meekness. This word means uh, it's a strength under control. The picture I gave you guys last week was a, a horse with a bit in its mouth, you know? So if you think about it, a horse is powerful. It really just does what it wants to do and, until it trusts you, right, and have a relationship. And by this bit, right, it turns. You know, uh, I know uh, there's been a lot of strong, charismatic leaders and things have, who've died over the past year, okay? And, and one of those leaders, somebody said, uh, don't be meek be like her, okay? And I thought to myself, isn't that interesting? You know, we look at powerful figures in the world, we look at powerful people, and we think the last thing you want to do is be meek, because meekness is weakness. You know, don't be weak, be powerful and strong. Well, let me give you some advice. Don't be like anybody else but Jesus, okay? Just, <laughs> just allow his life to flourish through you, and you know what? There's going to be times you're going to see that you were totally meek and humble and, and got way more out of life than somebody else who was prideful. It's just an incredible strength that God has given us. So essentially, here's what I'm trying to say. We often see God as we see ourselves. We often see God as we see ourselves. 
you probably don't mean to do this, but we all project ourselves onto God. You know, we all project our dads onto God. We all project uh, people with supreme power on God, okay? And so if people with power are often prideful and they can be corrupted and well, subconsciously, something kind of happens where you can start distrusting God based on what you see in yourself and in the world. It's really twisted, okay? And so, so as a main point this morning, God is humble. This is the title of this message this morning. God is humble. Is that what you think? Is that what you picture? Is that what the world pictures? Is a, a, a humble God? Or do they picture a prideful God, something maybe the Greeks came up with or some you know, pantheon somewhere? Like these, these are confusing concepts for some. But here's the thing is if you, if you go into Scripture and you start at the beginning, you start in Genesis, and you start reading through and you get to like the Israelites and Esther and Gideon and these cool, you start seeing yourself in the story, don't you? you I mean, as a kid, I know I did. I was like, I want to be Elijah. I really liked him, you know, and hanging out in caves sounds awesome, you know. And so, uh, just kidding, really bad Bible joke. Okay. Um, <laughs> But you read these stories, you read these heroes, you read the journey, right? And then you get to Jesus, and most don't realize the story just completely flipped. Like, everything changes, right? There's not a... the, the pictures we often associate with what happens after the cross were things that happened before the cross, right? These are things that aren't happening anymore. The, the things we thought we knew about God were wrong. And Jesus came to show us what the Father was really like. So in other words, God doesn't even see himself the way that we see ourselves. He doesn't process like we do. You look at yourself in the mirror, and some days you're like, man, I look great. And other days, I won't say most days, you look in the mirror and you say, oh, my gosh. Well, it's the best we got, you know. Let's get out there and pretend we didn't see this, you know. And that's, that's what we go through. God never goes through that. He looks in the mirror every day, and he's like, man, I look fantastic as usual, you know. Like, God never thinks the way we do. We've got to repent. We've got to change our minds. We've got to see things differently. He demonstrated to us agape love, for example. Like, this is such a hard concept for us to understand. He's so humble that he is love, okay? And he's agape love. He's a type of love that's only associated with God. And this, this love goes to you based on what you need, not what he needs or cares about. Or anything. It's what you need. Who loves that way? I mean, I don't know. Like, if we can, we should. You know, but going and loving others, not because you are going to get anything in return, but because that's who I am. I, I'm a giver. I love, to, I love to love. That's what God would say. Matthew 11, look at what he says here, 27 verse, uh, chapter 11, 27 through 30. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Pause. We read this last week. We're going to focus on a little bit more. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. What things are you worried about? because they're not in your hands. <laughs> they're in his hands. Remember that. All things have been handed over to him. And nobody knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Now listen to this. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle, and here he is. I'm humble in heart. You'll find rest. I'm humble. Here's Jesus saying, none of you guys have ever seen God before. And they're going, what? We come from the Israelites. Like, God's our dude. Like, what are you talking about? And Jesus has said, I hate to tell you, you've never really known him. I'm here to show you that he's gentle and humble. He's not throwing hurricanes at you to get your attention. He comes and he sits with you. He says, come to me and learn from me so that you can have rest. Why? Because he's agape love and all he cares about is that you would find rest. Not like we think. When we go to him, we learn from him. 
And we learn that in our weakest places is where God is the strongest. We learn to be comfortable in these weak places. I want to I spend a little time this morning, I'm going to focus on this one moment in particular that was the weakest point I can find for Jesus, right? I mean, this moment where all the way before going to the cross, he's even kind of, I mean, he's crying in front of his friends. He's saying, look, this is a big deal. And then he goes through with the whole thing. And I want to look at this moment, especially as he is on the cross, okay? The weakest place you could possibly find. I want to look at how in this weakest place, it was actually the greatest moment of strength we've ever seen. It was the greatest moment of love we've ever seen. And from it, you and I can walk through anything on this earth and have that same guarantee, okay? So look at what Jesus says in this weakest point of his entire life. He goes in Luke 23, 34, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, as they were dividing up his clothes right in front of him. You know, I know you see pictures of the cross, and usually Jesus is wearing a diaper or whatever. He was naked, okay? He was totally naked, stripped bare, all the shame of the world trying to be heaped upon him. And here are people gambling for his clothing right in front of him, fighting over it, having arguments and stuff. And he looks at him and says, Father, forgive them. When you're at your weakest point, is that what you feel? Well, probably not on this earth, but the good news is as believers, we actually have that within us. That actually is there spiritually to offer. Look at what Jesus, our uh, spirit, would reveal through Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will boast about my weaknesses, so the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, insults, distresses, with persecutions, difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Jesus takes some friends with him and says, hey, come with me. I'm going to go boast in my weakness, okay? And he goes into the garden, and he gets on his face, and he cries out to God, right? And he says, if there's any other way, right, your will be done. But, but boy, this is, a hard, this is a hard thing. You know, and I, I love that. How often do you and I do this, right, where we find this strength within weakness, where we go up to somebody and we boast in our weakness, where we just say, hey, can you pray for me? I'm not as strong as I, I don't even want to pretend to be strong. <laughs> I need help. I need somebody. And this is what Jesus says you can do, and you can find God there. Religion will make you proud. Knowledge of God makes us proud. You have to understand that. Like, it's going to puff you up. It's going to get you into arguments that are totally wastes of time. Like, but when you see him for who he really is, you start to see repentance and humility in totally different ways. And I'm going to add a, another word this morning. That word is confession. Boy, when you hear that word, pictures and thoughts all come to mind, don't they? Uh, so let's talk about this. If you hear the word repentance, for example, in our, in our culture, you probably had the first word you probably heard was, I'm sorry, right? Repentance, sorry, sorrowful. And yet, repentance really has nothing to do with being sorrow, anything to do, do with sorrow as the way Jesus describes it. It just means to change your mind. Come, taste, see I'm good, then change your mind. Why would you feel bad about that? <laughs> just taste and see and live, right? All right, how about humility? Well, I just said earlier, I saw a quote just recently. It said, don't be meek. That's the last thing you want to do. Literally after I preached, be meek. You know, it's great how the enemy's up to stuff too, I guess. You know, and so we, we see that it doesn't mean that you're weak or walked over. It's humility. It's power. How about confession? The first thing I said, you probably thought of when I said the word confession is what? Your sins, right? Confess your sins. And what if I told you that's not the case at all for the believer? Like, that's not the kind of life you and I live. Now, look, this is going to be a big one for some because it's so different than what we're taught in this, in this country and in the world today. So let's talk about confession, right? Let me ask a question. How many times does the New Testament say 
that a believer must ask God for forgiveness, right, or confess their sins to God to receive forgiveness of their sins. Is it one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten? Zero. It's zero times. Now, that might shock you because you might have a couple of verses in mind and go, wait a minute, we're going to look at those. But no place in the New Testament does it say that a believer should confess their sins to God to be forgiven, and yet we do it all the time. Right? People do it all the time. God is humble. He's not prideful. He's not standing there waiting for you to confess your sins. He's humble, and he came before you and took care of your sins, okay? So we're going to talk about this together because this is a big one. James 5.16, there's these two verses that we look at as we look at this word confession, and and James 5.16 says it this way. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Okay, it's a good verse. 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And from that point forward, children everywhere before they went to bed made sure to pray that God would forgive not just the, prayer, the sins they remembered, <laughs> but God, all the ones I forgot. You know, I want to get them all covered, you know, get them all taken care of. All right, this verse right here is one of the most abused verses in the entire Bible, and you'll see why after today, okay? So 1 John 1, 9. Let's put this thing back into context, okay? This is what we all often do in the church. We take one scripture, we lift it up out of, out of the Bible, and we quote it, and we live on it, and we believe in it. The Bible, as you know, is, is not just an incredibly spiritual document, right, that speaks truth and life to you in all ways and all times and all that. It is also history. <laughs> it's also a document of people that lived, and part of the reason why context is important is because some of these things that they're talking about directly are associated with the people that were alive then, okay? And if you don't know that, you can begin drawing whatever conclusions you want from Scripture. And let me tell you, that'll lead you in some serious trouble. So let's, let's take a look at what this word even means. Confess comes from this Greek word, homologeo, and it means this, to agree, to voice the same conclusion, <laughs> to agree, not to go for your sins or whatever else. It has nothing to do with sins. It has everything to do with agreeing. Confess. It means to come say the same thing as what God's saying. God says this is bad, and I go, that's bad. God says that's good, is good, but that's not even where he lives anymore. He shows his life. Check this out. Oops. So what, okay, let me say this instead. What do we confess instead of, of, of our sins then? I had someone ask me this one time. They said, well, Javen, if we don't confess our sins then as believers, then what do you spend all the time doing? <laughs> it's going to free up a lot of time, you know? It was the greatest question. He was a student up north, you know? He just kind of walked up to me, and he was seeing it, and he goes, what do I do? I'm like, well, for you. Um, no, I said we confess our righteousness, Scripture says. We confess or agree with God on who we are. It's exactly what repentance leads you to. It leads you to confess the things that God was trying to show you anyway. You go, you're right. <laughs> I'm, I'm a saint, I'm not a sinner. I'm not the things that the world calls me. I'm the things that you call me. I'm a child of God. I confess that. So these people that John is dealing with, for example, well, let's go back actually and read James first. So James says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Okay, the history lesson in this is this. Have you ever had somebody in church that you, you look, we're all brothers and sisters here. We all love each other, but sometimes we hurt each other, don't we? And there's those times where you're like, I'm not sure I'm going back to that church, or I'm not sure I'm going back. Like, we've all had maybe situations like that where it's awkward, and you don't really know what to do. 
Well, this was happening during this time, but way worse. I mean, you got people stumbling in drunk, eating all the food, I mean, knocking tables over. The whole thing was a wreck, okay? And so these guys are dealing with some real stuff. Now, one of those issues was is that there was a group of people that were encouraging breaking up the family. Hey, if that person bugs you, like, forget them and just walk off. Like, that, they actually taught this stuff. And now what happens is you've got people being split up within the same church who one guy has cancer and this guy has got a financial difficulty. And rather than praying for one another, you've got this total division that's taking place. So put that back into context and you see what he's saying here. He goes, look, come together and agree. Confess. Agree. <laughs> agree upon this, right, that this, was, this is not who we are. Right? We can confess our sins, our mistakes, our errors to one another. And guess what? What's the reason? To pray for each other. We need each other, right, as we were talking about earlier. Come pray for each other so you can be healed, not just the relational healing, but actual physical healing. And watch God heal. We're a body of Christ. We're supposed to be together. So go confess your sins. There's nothing in that to feel bad about. You're going to go agree with God that, you know what, I blew it. <laughs> I did not offer love to you at all, my brother. I'm so sorry. Like, what's so hard about that? Nothing. So look at 1 John 1, 9. Okay, so if that's not confessing your sins to God to be forgiven, then what's 1 John 1, 9 saying? All right, if we confess our sins, it seems like he's saying it straight off the bat. Well, there's a group called the Gnostics that John is dealing with. Okay, history lesson here. The Gnostics were a group of people who taught a lot of different things. One, that sin wasn't really a thing. You didn't need to deal with sin. That Jesus didn't need to actually die. He was a spirit that laid over a guy named John or something. Like, there was all these crazy beliefs. So John, uh, the apostle John, has his young church that he loves. He's the last one left. Everybody else has died of the apostles. And he's the last one left, and he's defending his church. He's defending what they should believe. But these Gnostics have come in. They're infiltrating churches all over the region. And they're teaching these things like, oh, you don't need Jesus. Oh, sin's not real. They're teaching this stuff. And so that's why John deals with it and says, let's put it all back into context. We'll read verse 8 through 10. Now remember, John's already said, I'm writing this letter so that you would join the fellowship. So this is not people that necessarily even believe. He goes, look, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So you see what he's dealing with are people who were not confessing the truth. They were saying the opposite of the truth. And so he had to come in and say, hey, if you say there's no such thing as sin, then why did Jesus die? That doesn't make any sense. So again, be careful we don't lift stuff out of scripture because you could take this to a believer, which is not written to, and you could go to them and say, hey, did you know that you need to confess your sins? That's not true. We're a believer. We've already crossed over, as you'll see in just a moment. Chapter 2 even, even begins by saying, look, if you make a mistake, if you err, don't worry. You have an advocate with the Father. And he even goes on to say that God didn't just die for your sins. He didn't just forgive, excuse me, just the sins of the people who asked for forgiveness. The Bible says that he forgave all sin, even the people who didn't ask for it yet. <laughs> because there's something much greater at work than sin. There's death and there's life. These are these two bigger things at play that, unfortunately, sin will always be the thing you see if you don't get it out of the way. So God gets it out of the way. Let's take a look at this. We have to repent and see that God has always been for us. 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should re reach repentance. Everybody. He wants everybody. He's patient with you. How many times do you sit there and you say, God, what's taking you so long? <laughs> I got some bad news, uh, but it's good news. 
he might be waiting for you to repent. <laughs> he might be waiting for you to change your mind and see things the way he's trying to show you. A lot of times we get ourselves into stuff that we don't need to. One of my most tender moments with uh, God when I first got saved comes from John chapter 5. And if you want to turn there, we'll, we'll look at a couple things. In John chapter 5, there's this really, really sweet moment that it shows the heart of God. Like it shows, it shows how much he cares about those who can't help themselves. Like I, I love that. Like he goes to the people. If you've ever felt like, who's going to help me? God will. Like he proves it over and over again. And in this moment in John, John chapter 5, there's a man who, who's laying next to this mysterious pool, okay, which we still don't really know a whole lot about, but it was stirred up from time to time. And if you got in the pool, you'd get healed. Well, this guy, he, he couldn't get off his mat. He had no friends. He had no help. And he had been there for 38 years or some part of that when Jesus arrives. John chapter 5, verse 5. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said, do you wish to get well? <laughs> the man doesn't even answer him. He goes, sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus says, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. And immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. This is an incredible moment. If you really put yourself in the story, this man didn't even answer the question that Jesus asked. Jesus says, do you want to get well? And he's like, oh, I've not even considered that an option because nobody's here to help me. <laughs> oh, man, I hope we don't do that to God, but I feel like sometimes we do. Sometimes we just need to lean on him and rest on him and go, Lord, I can't. I got nothing. And just watch as he says, get up, walk. I got this. It's special because he helps all of us. At our weakest point, we don't have an unapproachable God. We don't have somebody who wants to keep us at an arm length. We have a father who loves us and will help us, whose grace is sufficient, who is humble in heart. <laughs> now, what was tender for me, you're going to see, causes the religious mind to just be super irritated to the point of killing Jesus. Okay, now they, they go from this point to wanting to kill him because he not only healed somebody on the Sabbath, can you believe it? <laughs> somebody got healed on the Sabbath, though. Uh, but it was also because he was calling God his father. He says, this is my dad. You guys don't know him. Let me tell you about him. So verse 19 says, Therefore Jesus answered and said, Truly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son also gives life to whom he wishes. All right, listen to this. This is a piece of scripture that I think we need to understand further. Jesus only does what he sees the father doing. I don't know about you, but often we can split these, this, this person, God, up into like the three parts, and we can kind of see them all as different personalities in different ways, so much so that we forget that they are one, okay? In the same way that you are body, soul, and spirit, and if I split any one of those things off from you, you're gone, okay? Like that's how it works. You can't. You're one. God is one, okay? So I love this. Jesus is explaining. As he's come to explain the Father, he's also explaining who he is, He's saying, you want to know who I am? I am the one that does everything I see the Father doing. <laughs> so everything we are about to see on the cross is what the Father wanted. It was the Father being pleased. It wasn't the Father turning his eyes from something. It was his Father saying, we did this together for this moment. This is what it was all about. Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing. So remember that, okay? Remember that. We get lost in this. 
For the Father loves the Son. I love this. He shows it to him. Now look at what he says. What are these greater works that are coming? What is this great thing that people will marvel at? Is that the Father raises the dead. Did you know that about God, Jesus is saying to all the people? My Father raises the dead. And he goes, I also do the same. Look, God bases his love for you and me on who he is, period. Like God bases how he's going to love you on who he is. <laughs> not on what you've done, not on what you haven't done, not on what you thought, not on what you said to that guy the other day. No, he, he loves you based on who he is. Not on how much you gave last week, not on your heart, not on, not, no, based on who he is, is how much he loves you. Is that intense or what? John 3.16 says it this way, For God so loved the world that he gave. God loves, so he gives. God loves, doesn't take away, he gives. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Remember this. When Jesus shows up on the scene, right, in this awesome moment where he gets baptized, the spirit, that whole thing, the booming voice appears, you know, and says, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. What had Jesus done at that point? Well, he was a carpenter. He went to church. He got in the water. <laughs> he hadn't done anything. He hadn't performed great miracles. He hadn't shown off his power yet. That didn't matter. God the Father looked at his son and he said, this is my son. This is my son. And if we understand the Father's heart, and if we understand the Father, we will know that he loves us so much that he gives us what we need in these humble moments. Look at John 5, 22. This is Jesus now. He's continuing talking about the Father. He goes, look, the, not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. We're one. Truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but has passed out of death into life. Not even my Father judges anyone. Hello. <laughs> Please hear this because there's all kinds of ideas of God on a throne ready to just judge everything. No, he's passed all judgment to the Son. And what did Jesus just say? Is he going to judge it off of what you've done and what you haven't done? And they're going to maybe even pull a screen up and they're going to play your sins for everyone to see or something? Like, no, he didn't say any of those things. No, he says, I'm going to judge based on death and life. I'm going to judge on whether you are alive in Christ, you have my life within you, or you don't. Like, that's the judgment. And he says, for those of you who are already in me, he goes, you've crossed over. There's no judgment for you. The moment you die, let me tell you something. I don't know if you think you're going to go up a stairway or like float aimlessly for a while, or maybe it takes 10 minutes you read a book. I, I don't know what you think happens, but the Bible is very clear. To be absent from this thing is to be present with him. <laughs> Instant. So I love this. If you are alive, you don't taste death. You died. The moment you stop breathing, you just kind of go, what happened? I'm all of a sudden in, right, in heaven and all this stuff, you know, whatever that all looks like you've passed over. It's not about sin. He took care of it. And let's take a look at this humble moment when he did, when he took care of sin once and for all. Remember, God is humble. The cross was the plan. This wasn't a shame-filled moment. This was a moment of pride if God ever had one. God is humble. In the Psalms, David would write about what would come. He would say, I'm going to tell you what it's going to be like when, when this suffering saint shows up, when the Messiah comes, when when this, when this son of God, as we know him, shows up. He says, let me tell you what it's going to look like. It's going to look like suffering. It's going to look like, and he lists off every single thing that's going to happen. 
I mean, it's amazing. You can go through the Psalms and you can read these songs that, I don't know, was David just like sitting there writing and just, I don't know how it all works, but, but he was seeing what was coming. Jesus was there with David writing those songs. He was sitting there going, let me tell you what's going to happen to me. <laughs> write this, write that, write this. Then in Isaiah, the prophet says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. This is the Old Testament here, the Old Covenant. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. See, there's this moment on the cross where Jesus, he he was there with Isaiah. He he knows those words very, very well because he helped write them. And as he's sitting there on the cross in this moment, there's a famous moment where he says, my father, why have you forsaken me? Or God, why have you forsaken me, right? He's actually quoting a song. He's quoting a lyric of a song. Imagine dying and quoting a song lyric as one of your last things, you know? That's what he did. And he's quoting David, the very one that he was with all the way in the very beginning. And and shouldn't it be a little interesting that why would he be so surprised then? He helped write these words. But see, that's what sin did. Becoming sin fully cut off the vision. I do everything I see the Father doing, and suddenly I, I, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. But we get this idea that the Father turned his back or walked away. And scripture was very clear about all of this. Now, the Father was with him. The Spirit was with him. They were all working together to defeat sin, to defeat the obstacles so that you and I could receive life and get out of death. That we could go to others and not focus all on sin and all this stuff, but we could go to people and say, hey, sin and all that, sure, I'm sure you've got your things too, but but, but what about life? Do you have life? Do you have joy? Do you have peace? Do you have the fruit that comes from this life? Because <laughs> you can. The Father never left him. He never forsook him, but Jesus certainly felt that way because of iniquity and sin. He became the sacrifice, proving a couple of questions for you. Does the Father love Jesus more than you? No. Does Jesus love the Father more than you? No. And that is how crazy this is, is that God is so humble that he brings in dust and says, I'm going to make you a people. I'm going to bring in a people. I'm going to breathe life into you, and I'm going to love you forever. I'm going I'm to take care of what you need. I'm going to walk with you humbly. And when you think you're big and bad and more powerful than me, I'll just stay humble. I won't puff up with pride at all because I am humble, and I want you to come to me, and I want you to come sit with me. You know, as a dad, I can tell you, I failed that so many times. (laughs) So many times I walk away from an argument with my my kids or a lesson or whatever, and I walk away, and all I'm playing out in my head is, that was all about you, man. (laughs) You ever been there? Anybody else want to say amen or anything? Make me not feel weird? Cool. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Transparency's fun. So you walk, walk, you know, away, and you're like, man, that was, you know, that whole thing. But God doesn't be, he's not like that at all. He didn't become a king. He became the king of kings. Luke 15, 7, here here is his motivation. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who have no need to repent. (laughs) Homo legeo, speak the same thing. Confess. Confess. All right, so if you're sitting with somebody, I want to give you what you can tell them, all right? You're sitting with somebody, you're telling them about God, you're telling them about how humble he is. You're like, he's not this big prideful God sitting up there judging sin and looking out. No, he, he, he's humble. He, he wants you to come to him and sit with him. He'll take care of everything else. If you're explaining that to someone and they happen to say, okay, I want to believe, but what do I say? What do I do? What's the right words, right? You know, we have all these fancy sinner's prayers and all this stuff, you know. I love this. Look at what Jesus says instead. Look, uh, excuse me, Paul writes, Romans 10, 
What, is, what does it say? The word is near you. Who, who, wait, who's the word? Jesus. He's near you. He's in your mouth. He's in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess, there's that word, with your mouth, if you will agree with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. I love this. God gives us the words to say. I don't know if you've ever had this moment yet. I have, and I hope nobody ever really has this moment. But if you ever had a moment where you don't know what to pray because you're just so at a depth or of hurt or, or been walked on or felt like a doormat or whatever, and you just sit with God and you go, I got nothing. I don't even know what to ask you or pray for or whatever. How comforting is it for you to know that he puts the words in your mouth, <laughs> that he puts the words in your heart because he's everywhere. And he just says, here, here, let me give you the words to say so that you will say them. And as you confess them and as you come into agreement with God, God, I, I confess that you, <laughs> you're, you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You watch what happens. You watch what happens inside of you as you confess truth. I'm a child of God. I'm righteous. You'll also stay humble because you'll see that you already kind of have it all. Like you don't need to be prideful. You don't need to know more than someone else. You can just go love them because I got enough. I got so much to give away. For God so loved the world that he gave. And that's what you and I get to do as well from a humble place. Humble place. Look, I'm going to ask you one more time. Please don't stiffen up with pride in this world. It will hurt you more than it will hurt anybody else. Don't, 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 don't fight that meekness that God has given you as a gift and say, yeah, but Javen, I've got I to leave a legacy on the earth. I've got to leave my mark here. <laughs> don't get in all that. It sounds great. It's going to lead you to unrest. You're going to find yourself wearing yourself out going, God, I'm just trying to do more for you. God goes, I don't need you to do anything for me. Just be loved by me. He's humble. He's humble. Father, we love you. Lord, we know how humble you are. And we come to you humbly as a people. Lord, we, we see ourselves in you. We're dependent upon you. And we rest in you. I pray this morning for anybody that's here, Lord, that Maybe they've not even been able to approach you because they've projected some prideful picture onto you. Maybe they don't think that you want to talk to them. Lord, I pray that you'd use these words this morning. Convince us, Lord, of how humble you are. In Jesus' name, amen.